Hello, everybody, and uh, this is Tech Grump 65. Normally, Ian would be doing this, but now I am. So there you go. Um, so uh, yeah, let's get started with the guest today. Um, I, I think a pretty special guest is Kate Russell, um, who you may be aware of on BBC Click. Uh, and other things, and uh, hopefully she'll talk about her book, Interest in Elite, which I think I share to some degree. Um, uh, we have, uh, say sorry, say hello, Maria. And say, sorry, no, no, not Maria, sorry, I'm right. Say hello, Kate. <laughs> You're all flustered. <laughs> hello, Kate. Right, now let me move on to Maria. <laughs> don't put your hands in your head. You see, this is why they do this bit, usually. <laughs> That's worse than my intros. Oh, shut up. And we and haven't we... come to my surname yet. Oh, uh, yeah, yes. yeah, look. And uh, we have Maria Aratulaki. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, say hello, Maria. Hello. Thank you. And, and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And um, finally, uh, we have Mr. Cubic Garden himself, Ian Forrester. Say hello. Yes, Ian Forrester is drinking a nice ginger wine, uh, along with... Um, What's everyone else drinking, by the way? That looks like brandy to me. <laughs> it's not brandy. <laughs> I like a nice ginger wine. It's a great festival drink, ginger wine, but I've got Chablis today because I'm oh. a posh. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> and I'll be boring. I just have a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd impressed us with some that's red cleaner or something. <laughs> yeah. I drank too much last night, so that's my excuse. <laughs> what are you drinking, actually, David? I actually have beetroot juice and apple, and the beetroot juice I made myself because I'm a hippie. <laughs> No, I'm not actually, but I just fancy that. Right. Um, well, so I think what we want to start with um, uh, is Ubuntu and um, Ubuntu on your phone, but more to the point, Ubuntu everywhere else. So for people who haven't seen it, Mark Shuttleworth did a whole um, introduction thing. And the first thing I noticed about this is he seems to think he's Steve Jobs. And I'm just wondering if he's actually waited for Steve Jobs to die so he can take over the position. So obviously, um, you know, the, the the play was obvious that um, Ubuntu is already obviously Linux, and now he wants to spread this on the phone. Um, so the real question is, do we need another phone platform in order to sort of challenge with the existing duopoly? And um, do you trust Ubuntu? Because obviously the other difference is this is more coming from the Linux open source world. Um, does this make any sense? Well, Ubuntu, um, for starters, you know, we're, we're, we're getting into this sort of realms of do we need another platform? It really depends what the platform's going to offer. I think there's a lot of room for improvement in what we have at the moment. And if Ubuntu offers that improvement with its openness um, yeah. and security, then definitely there's room for improvement. And, and Ubuntu actually, isn't the, the word Ubuntu is African, ancient African for... Um, everyone together or something exactly everyone yeah, together yeah. so if they have that ethos and they bring it in they bring the Linux sort of attitude to mobile platforms then I think there's definitely room and uh, you know Apple have been pissing some people off <laughs> for the <laughs> last year to not to put too fine a point on it and, and you know their, their, their flame could be could be sort of extinguishing if they're not careful yeah yeah I agree I'm one of the few people, I don't have an Apple 
or, or a Google phone, I actually have a H, I have a Palm Pre or HP Pre. Really you really it. hold on to that thing, aren't I you? Phone because, yeah, because everyone insists there are no other phones. But look, really, it hasn't broken down yet. I know the company no longer produces them, or in fact, even really sort of exists, and Palm is dead. But I'm proud of my Palm Pre. Right, okay, enough of that. Do you actually use it for making phone calls as well? I do, yes. Wow, that's retro, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that, like, kids on the street, literally, if I see they go, oh, is that a Palm Pre? As if I'm holding an antique. It's quite embarrassing. Is that why you've got a camera? <laughs> it does. It, it is almost a modern phone, remember. Does it make oh. an Atari tape sound when you fire it up as well? <laughs> <laughs> okay, God's sake. Um, I, no, I, think, I, think, I think Kate's right. I mean, for me, uh, when I first heard about it, um, I thought it was... I thought it, was, I mean, it made sense, because Ubuntu are doing... Uh, obviously, they're starting to not dominate, but they started to make real um, pushes into the Linux platform. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, they also, they got the um, Ubuntu TV, uh, which is another platform. And, yeah, there was already talk about Android, uh, Ubuntu on Android, which they showed some demos last year. And that's gone very quiet. So, actually, it makes sense. And, okay, you, know, you could have that. That's a halfway house. But... If you want to go the full hog, you know, and and go really and um, you know, go the distance, then here is Ubuntu um, Mobile, and makes sense, you know. I mean, basically everyone else is doing it, Firefox OS and um, all the others. So, well, we're we going to see mean, a Firefox OS on mobile. Are we going to see the same thing? Yeah, isn't there you, Mozilla? Yeah, Mozilla. Yeah, I mean, the key thing for me is that. I know a lot of developers are moaning and groaning. Oh, another platform to work for, another. I'm sorry, choice is good for the consumer. And, you know, if the developers want to get involved and they decide that it's a big enough market, then great, you know. Yeah, speaking is on both sides. I mean, speaking of the developer side, it is annoying having another platform which you have to look out for, that you might have to... Uh... Obviously, if it makes you money, then nobody's going to complain. But, uh, I mean, obviously, previously on these tech grumps, uh, known to all of us, uh, I and quite a few other people have been complaining about Ubuntu. Um, so, so what happened was m- most of us at work, um, and this is not just me at BT, this is a, this is a lot of work, uh, people have been using Linux, and Ubuntu was the preferred choice, and I think it still is on balance. But ever since they introduced Unity, which is this UI whereby they're clearly want to be Mac, uh, a lot of us just said, uh, no thanks, I, I don't want to play funny you know, tricks with my mouse, I just want to start a shell and work. And a lot of us have gone to uh, Linux Mint, now you can go to previous broadcasts where we've complained about that. But the reason, that, of course, they went that direction is because they knew they were going to follow this up. So in some respect, this is sort of continuing the annoyance, because instead of Ubuntu saying, yeah, we're, we're giving you an operating system, they're saying, no, no, actually, we want to take over the world. But, no. but, but the thing for me is, um, you know, I think it's a whole opinionated software thing again. Is that, yeah. yeah, if you've got opinionated software and, you, yeah, Unity is, is definitely opinionated. Um, yeah, it's Mark... Um, Mr. Shuttleworth. Mr. Yes. Shuttleworth, yeah, it's kind of like from, you know, it's his vision. Then you need to have all these different platforms so you can choose one that actually is closer to your vision. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think obviously it's only fair to sort of let it, let it get out there and 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 see how it works. Because on the plus side, it, it's definitely it's definitely some choice. Um, by the way, it's definitely worth looking at the video. If you go to Ubuntu and then uh, phone or something, or just go to the Ubuntu main page, you'll probably see it. But it's worth watching just to see how close uh, Mark Shuttleworth is now to even presenting himself as Steve Jobs. Now, now the, the other thing is... Turtleneck and... Uh... He, he's, he's, wearing, he's wearing a white shirt, but the, the camera gets him sort of... Where we map out the roadmap. This is it, yeah. In 2013. Look at his hand movements. Look at his hand movements. We can't see it. We need to, like... I think my... One okay. platform for all kinds of computing. Click screen share. And of course the cloud and your personal supercomputer. But you can even hear the way he's talking. Listening now is going yeah. gonna... <laughs> to. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. We shouldn't. Sorry. Yeah. We shouldn't. Yeah, I, I mean, the, screen share. The, the thing is, what's really annoying? He uses the term magic, which is exactly the stupid term that Steve Jobs used. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. <laughs> I, I, okay. Oh. That open neck oh, shirt no. is dangerously open, isn't it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's trying to, he's trying to, you know, come on, you can have a piece of me. And it's like, no, actually, we just want an OS. I don't want to see his chest furniture. Oh, okay, stop, 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 stop. Freaking out, Mark, stop, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> stop. <laughs> but there's no question that somebody said, "Hey, look, you can now take this over. You can be Steve." There's no question that he's doing that. I um, uh, I had to. Okay, I know what everyone's saying, but it's kind of like it's just good performance. It's you know that's how a good um, you know kind of person who's speaking and trying to sell you something. But that's it. But, but you've just said it. That's the problem. I don't want yeah. him to sell me anything. No, but yeah. to be fair, though, I mean, the way that the world works, unfortunately, we are in the minority in that all we require to buy something is uh, it for it to work and, uh, you know, work well and be fairly priced. But unfortunately, majority of the world requires to be sold to. And that's why companies like Apple can yeah. roll out update after update after update on their equipment with virtually no changes. And people will queue. They did a video with people queuing for the iPhone 5, and they handed them an iPhone 4S and said, you know, what do you I think of it? I saw that, And yeah. they were like, oh, yeah, it's really cool. I can't wait to get hold and of it. And they came out with things like, oh, it's thinner and so forth. <laughs> exactly. So unfortunately, we live in a world where people need to be marketed to, and, you know, Ubuntu has a, a, a Linux audience who are there waiting to buy uh, or take up, not buy even because it's open source, right, but they're, yeah. they're waiting to take up anything that is Linux base. Um, and if they can tap into that audience and then use clever marketing tactics to broaden their audience out to sort of your average consumer, then they could, you know, if they deliver a good piece of kit, then I say good luck to him. And, you know, I'll even accept that black shirt open almost <laughs> down to his garden. And that's the other thing. I, I think he, to, to some degree... You sort of said it was all Linux selling, and that in itself, that's a sort of, if you like, something you shouldn't hear together. Um, because he's sort of been a bit of a pirate with respect to Linux. Anyway, he sort of got on the bandwagon of Linux, which is absolutely fine, but he's attempted to sort of take it over and steer it. Which has annoyed some people. I don't know if I care about I, that. I, I mean, I, I get what everyone's saying, right? You know, Economical, which, you know, which is actually the company, I've kind of, you know, I've said in Linux, and 
uh, end of the day, as Kate said, you know, you've got to, got to sell it to people because, you know, to be fair, you know, when I was moving to Linux, I was trying to decide which Linux version to go with. And I was going to consider Red Hat because Red Hat, once again, had kind of sold, um, you know, quite a few um, at a certain period of time. Sure, and, yeah. and now, you know, um, Ubuntu is basically the de facto, like it or not. I know everyone who's like Fedora and who likes all these other ones will will slate me, but you know what? You know, if you look at the market share, I bet you that Ubuntu is doing extremely well. Oh, yeah, now it has the record world. downloads. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, sure. you know, and, and at the end of the day, you've got to have someone who's leading the field, you know? You can't have Linux geeks. The Linux geeks can't have it both ways. You know, they, they, they go, oh, why does everybody use Windows? Oh, my God, are you so dumb? Um, well, <laughs> if, you want, if you want Linux to go mainstream, I'm, I'm afraid you've got to attract the popular yeah. mainstream customers, and that's, that's the way to do it. Where he's, so. That's definitely where he's going. No, no, I, I, you know, to end it, I'd say, um, yeah, good luck to him. I mean, you'll see how it goes. I just, I just hope that he keeps the original vision of Canonical and Ubuntu and doesn't actually turn into another Apple because we don't need another Apple, but perhaps we need an open, you know, equivalent. So. An All open right. Apple? Well, okay, yeah. All right, um, I think we should can be I, Can I ask? Uh, because yeah. Yeah, um, I, uh, I didn't know about this. Uh, is this supposed to work on special than Ubuntu phones or are you supposed to be able to install... The, the Ubuntu operating system on, say, an Android phone, or yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's going to work on special, not special phones, but um, there'll be. A, I imagine it'd be like um, how you can get um, Android on HTC phones, and you could get Windows Mobile. What was it called? Uh, Windows Eight on them. There'll be it'd be a similar phone, but. Um, you won't. You'll just buy it from the shop. I should point out that Kate has just jumped towards a collection of devices. Yes. <laughs> There's an HTC Android there. You've got an HTC Windows Phone 8 there, and a Nokia Windows you. Phone 7. <laughs> I've got, now uh, the journalists are showing off. Oh, this is annoying. Journalists. <laughs> you win. You win. You got free. I got paid. I give my phones to my um, mum and dad. So anyway. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I, I imagine because he's also got the Ubuntu on Android, which is, I don't know if that project even, is still even going. Yeah, so. Well, that's a mixed message, isn't it? Because I don't yeah. understand what that means. Ubuntu on Android is it Android, is it Ubuntu? I mean, I, I think it. you would see it as you would see Android. In other words, you would see it pre-installed on a, on a target phone because yeah. the carrier has to have some input into it. Yes. So that's, I'm sure that won't break. So you you would see it on a phone. It's an interesting idea. Could you just insert it <laughs> like you can do with Ubuntu onto a Windows machine? Um, oh, exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I medicated my uh, my netbook with a, a, a distro installation, uh, 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 an Ubuntu insta installation recently. Yeah, good for you. Ubuntu installation CD revived my my old PC, which had been dead for five years. Mm. And, right. and now my, my Windows my Windows laptop died, 
and I want to do the same. <laughs> You're scaring us because you replaced your picture now with Mark Shuttleworth, and really, not helping anyone. Really punching you with that black <laughs> Every time you speak, all I can see is his chest hairs. <laughs> right now, I am definitely changing the topic because yeah. we, we can't do, can't do more of chest hairs. Really. Um, so uh, yeah, so. Um, Back in the annals of history, uh, uh, when when computers were just starting out, and when they were usually called home computers, uh, there was a game called Elite that everybody around then uh, knew and probably played. Um, games developers like me sort of got in the act and sort of were impressed by this and probably got going with that as well. Uh, and as has been sort of typical, there's been a sort of a retro kickback where a lot of uh, old developers have started to realise that they can put pretty much the same game on the new devices, because in many respects, an iPhone is sort of, uh, sort of like a Spectrum. Uh, I don't mean it literally, but it, it, it's sort of. If it works with Spectrum, it'll definitely work on an, an iPhone. And obviously, with the bigger devices, then it's a little bit harder to support the graphics. But uh, there has been. I mean, I mean, I'm always surprised. There's a retro magazine, and, and you know, you know, with journalists who really are interested. I mean, my colleague uh, Shahid Ahmed was. Uh, interviewed for a long time just about all the things he did on which you know you know he did jet set willy conversions all sorts of stuff and you know and, and they love this and i haven't quite got my head around being treated as an antique yet but um this is this is the deal um so elite started a kickstarter because uh david braben who's behind elite and his company frontier have always wanted to do the new elite you know to do a new one for you know well this this millennia this century because obviously it was it was in 19 something 1984 actually uh, 84 thank you Kate uh, and uh, so he started a Kickstarter which is the, obviously the new way to get things done this this, avo- this avoids him having to collect to try to get money uh, you know the more traditional way uh, and well I my view of a Kickstarter was it wasn't done terribly well but they asked for a lot of money um, I would wondering whether he's really done the right thing I mean Kate what was your view of it as it started you were a bit more up on it I know so yeah definitely I mean I, I had the opportunity to interview David and, and managed to sort of cover off quite a lot of the points that, that you, you've just spoken about um, first of all it was 1.25 million the uh, goal for the Kickstarter and um, when it was successful on the 4th of January at midnight um, it became a record breaker it's the highest ever target funded um, uh, Kickstarter that there's been. There's been some Kickstarters that have earned over that money, but not they didn't set that target. So it's the highest target that's ever actually completed. Which is impressive. And it's very impressive. And given that we were only at 750,000 about three weeks before the end of the time, um, it really kicked in. They, they ran it for 60 days. Um, the reason that they ran the Kickstarter is... Um, games publishers, the big money games publishers, what they do is they apply a a mathematical algorithm to their decision-making process um, and it's called a return on investment projection and they put a whole load of uh, statistics into the pot about uh, what previous versions have done and what the audience is and they come out with this mathematical figure that says the likelihood is that this game is going to make us the most profit so this is the game we're going to back um, now so the last two version, version, two version three version four of everything I guess exactly so it's fast turnaround that you know the, the 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 algorithm basically says 
if it's been a recent success, then it you know applies a higher success rating to it. So first of all, I mean this is this is all stuff that I, that David told me in our interview, by the way. So I'm not speaking as a from personal experience. Um, now the last elite. Uh, um, game was 21 years ago, right? So there's one in 1984. That was the first one. Then they waited nine years uh, to 1993 for the second one. Um, and this is where my master. Then 95 was a very bad third one. Frontier uh, first yeah, encounter. Yeah. Which ended in litigation actually between Braben and, and Game Tech, the publisher. Um, and then, so then, 93 was the last one. So this is a long, old, old haul for the next uh, version. Um, and it, essentially, they couldn't get backing uh, of the level that they needed to make the game that they wanted. So really, Kickstarter was the only way for them to go to, to go this route. And the community mm. has got behind it in an unprecedented way. It has been the ride of a life. It's been so much fun. There's camaraderie you know we're just a, a big old 22,000 strong group of 30 to 40 year old geeks who've you know a lot of them... it might be 40 how dare you well <laughs> yeah right I am never mind <laughs> just saying um, unless you're very young when you played the game um, um, but yeah no people really wanted it to happen uh, you know a good strong bunch of people really wanted it to happen and I'm glad that, that we got the funding I say we. Um, I'm glad that they got the funding, and um, I hope that the game uh, lives up to expectations because I think it's going to be um, a, a really, really special game. Now, now, clear, clear this up, and you and you've just given it away by saying we. You have sort of peripheral joint sort of connection between, because of the book you're doing. So, what is, what are you doing? Well, so one of the one of the options that they gave you, uh, it, well, in the in the Kickstarter, for people who don't know how a Kickstarter runs, um, basically you you set a goal and then you put pledge targets. So you have tiers. So you'll say like for five pounds you get this, and for ten pounds you get this, and for twenty pounds you get this. So they had targets going all the way up to five thousand um, pounds, and the five thousand pound ones were to name a central star system in the game and stuff like that. Yeah. But for four and a half thousand pounds you could buy the license to write one piece of fiction, royalty-free, based on the game and in the game universe. And um, along with that license comes the right to name a planet within the game system, a star system within the game system, a space station. And also they made a commitment that as long as it's not completely out of whack with the with this sort of the game storyline they would support it within the story as well um, of the game so basically they they were they put up for auction 12 licenses to write pieces of fiction um, around the game and they would support it and promote it and people started buying these or bidding for these um, and in order to uh, pay for the four and a half thousand pounds, that it cost to buy this license, people were setting up their own Kickstarters and running a Kickstarter to write the book and to raise the money. So um, I was trying to promote kick, uh, the Kickstarter generally because I want it to happen. So I interviewed sure. David and placed it a few And I did see that interview, by the way. It was very good. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did that. And then people were like, oh, you should get a book license too. Um, and I just could have looked. 
got dragged into it really at the last minute and uh, said, okay, fair enough, I'll, I'll do one. But I, everyone's like completely stretched on their Kickstarter pledges for the main game. So what I'll do is I'll take a risk on people not funding mine and I'll, I'll actually run mine for a month and a bit so you can replenish your pay packets if you want to support my Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. you, you, so, you've, been, you've been started though, you've been funded, haven't you? Well, yeah, I put it live and said, right, it's running for 35 days. I put it live on, I think it was like 29th or something. Yeah. of December. It got funded to the tune of a very Douglas Adams inspired £4,242 target in four and a half hours. Yes, there you go. Yeah, that's wow. amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's well, well done, obviously, but I mean, that tells you a lot about the people that are out there because they, they want that sort of thing. So that's exactly, and it's still running, by the way, plug number one, it's still, my Kickstarter's running until the 4th of Feb, and um, it's currently at nearly £11,000. Jesus, do you not want to do all that? <laughs> well, I've put stretch goals. So you, in, within the text of the, of the story description, I've said, if we manage to reach X, then we get a paperback book. And if we manage to reach Y, and so that basically the stretch goals we're going for at the moment are for an audio book, a professionally produced oh, audio book with foleys and sound effects and music and everything. So do you actually know what you're writing? Do you, do, do you know what you're going to do? Well, I didn't when I started. But, um, <laughs> ideas are coming very, very thick and fast, actually. Uh, I, I've been teasing people through the campaign, you know, with various different ideas and things that are coming up. And, yeah, I've got a really strong idea, actually. It's going to be a Douglas, Douglas Adams-esque comedy kind of um, swashbuckling pirate fantasy fixed sci-fi adventure. It's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. Whoa. Okay, I'm not going to ask anymore because that, that's already too many words. Uh, pirates? <laughs> what? So, so Alan, so, uh, uh, by the way, we, we, I, I should introduce Alan Donahue, the, the ironing teacher, uh, who, Hello, who has joined us. <laughs> um, I was going to say, have, um, obviously you're with the Raspberry Pi stuff, which oddly enough is also related to Mr. Braben rather differently, but uh, does, does Elite mean anything to you? Well, it, it does because when I was sort of 12 or 13 years old, um, there was this mad craze for the BBC Micro, and all my friends were playing Elite at the time. Um, whereas I was, I wasn't quite so obsessed about playing it. I, I ended up trying to create something on my Sinclair Spectrum that it was never going to be anywhere as good as Elite, but it kind of mimicked some of the aspects of it or modelled some of the aspects. So, like a lot of people, encourage you to sort of do do something oh, similar, or absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know. It was the fact that the graphics, it was um, because it was space with stars moving around and, and these wireframe graphics, it was just it's sort of like, you know, they talk about a paradigm shift. We think about different ways of doing things. I think all the games we've done before then were sort of platforms and other things like that. But, yeah, it was unusual in that it was actually a new genre as opposed to a, a version of something that had already existed before, and that's why it was such a... It was a genre. It was a, a new genre at a time when genre didn't even apply to the gaming industry. Oh yeah, I'm using the word genre because we know what it means today. It wouldn't it mean a thing. Exactly. Yeah. It was totally great. It was the first sandbox game. It was. I mean, I remember it was kind of. I don't want to say epiphany because that sounds a bit wanky, but you know, I remember thinking, look, looking at this box because festival com computers, the BBC Micro, right? First time I'd ever seen a computer, and suddenly there's this box on the table that has inside of it, seemingly, an infinite world, which in 1984 was witchcraft. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> I mean, especially, I mean, he, he rather amusingly uh, and quite accurately said that you can, if, if it's randomised correctly, you can describe a, a galaxy with a large number, 
was, of course, he just used that to run him. And, of course, a lot of people said, you're telling me that if I change that number slightly, I come out of a slightly different galaxy, of course, which you do. And, it, and it, in a way, that, that is exactly a sort, of, a sort of wonderful example of the sort of witchcraft used to sort of expand out. And, and, and people realise that, obviously, the, the, the sheer size of the galaxy, especially in the later games, like that's just not possible. You know, it doesn't have that memory. And so that was a very special way of generating. So that is impressive. One of the things procedural really... generation, isn't it? Right. So, so a lot of games do that now. Uh, procedural generation, um, uh, Spelunky is a good example. What they do is so you never, you never play the same game again. So it's a, it's a difficult thing to achieve because if you've got um, sort of if you want to create a sort of maze, for instance, you can't do it procedurally directly because of course you might have a maze you can't get out of. So you create, you you run your procedure, then you have to run another procedure to make sure that the previous one you just made is actually doable. So it's actually quite a hard. It's not it's not simple. It's quite a hard work. I've always enjoyed trying it. It's never very easy to do, um, but it, it, it's a it's a big thing, and that and that certainly used that to the max. And was very impressive. Um, one of the things you have to admire is, well, when you look at some of the modern games that we've got things like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3, and, and, and Grand Theft Auto, they're, they're, they're making good use of 3D graphics and you know 3D stereo sound and all these kind of things. The thing that was really impressive, and, and, and still is, with, with other things, when you take something that's not very powerful, but you, you, you completely use the potential that's within that and, and, and go beyond and further. And I think that was one of the things that was just such a breakthrough at the time but it, it, it wasn't it was very very limited in the scope of what you could do with that computer yeah my, my iron's saying it wants more water <laughs> when, when Frontier came out in um, so the, the second iteration of Elite came out in 1995 um, it had it contained a galaxy that was billions of star systems big and it was contained on a, one floppy disk Yes. That's the kind of the power that you're talking about with this kind of procedural. It's almost like fractally generating your game environment as you require it, sort of building just beyond your 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 outside yeah. where you where you are, isn't it? Yes. Kind of. Uh, it, it, it's almost as if it, you know, those days you can you could build an entire game about about the size of memory now that people just do a load now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's magic. It's what it is. Yeah, it is. But now, on the other side of this, um, there are a couple of things. The first thing is, as, as I said, there's been quite a time has gone past, and now there's another game called Eve, which is actually a lot of people think is is pretty much Eve is um, uh, an elite multiplayer in many respects. And the other thing is, uh, we need elite now because is it is it not the case that, that perhaps David Raven isn't even really in contact with uh, how modern games should necessarily be, because the fact that he did something well, you know, X years ago doesn't imply that he's the right person to be now. And also, Kickstarter itself is very interesting because um, it gives you, a, it gives people a chance to be very open-ended in how they're going to do stuff, how they're going to create it, keep you in contact, and so forth. And certainly, when the Elite Kickstarter started, it was quite obvious that. That is not something they were familiar with, and it it really wasn't done very well. You can see plenty of criticisms of how they didn't have any videos or anything, and they clearly didn't quite know what they were doing. They didn't really explain why they were even bothering using Kickstarter as opposed to something else. Um, and also, there are other very similar projects, uh, uh, but uh, I can't remember—is it Star Legion or no? So there's a very similar, um, not not uh, similar in that he was uh, 
doing something off a um, a previous game um, and extending that. I'll remember it in a minute. Um, so so again, I don't think they they didn't do it very well, um, and I think a lot of questions about uh, even whether it was going to make the um, whether it was going to be funded, but actually that was not the right question because it was was funded quite cleanly in the end. So I think there is a question about not so much whether people are tired now of uh, Kickstarter. So I don't, that, that's not true at all. Kickstarter's doing very well. But I think I think there is a bit of a warning that Wait, how you approach Kickstarter. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do hear a lot of kind of kickback, uh, ironically. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, about, um, about Kickstarter. Um, and, and don't forget, because generally it's crowd, crowdfunded and there are I mean, um, I don't know if it's very easy to. Well, obviously you're doing it, Kate. So, but mm. um, it was. It, I, I, from what I gather, because I looked into it about a year ago. Um, yeah, kind of at the kind of height of it all, and um, and it seemed like it was very difficult for someone from outside the US to do it. Well, there's a UK uh, version now. It, it, it's now they've opened up in the UK now, so there's yeah. the UK and the US, and and you know, in terms of Kickstarter, those are your options. But there are other 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 platforms yeah, as well um, in other countries. Looks really good, and there's actually another one that I I can't remember the top of my head, but um, which we were going to consider doing for we're using for some BBC projects. Mm. Um, but like, The stinger for Kickstarter, the, the, the one, th- one of the things that I've learned, so I've set up my Kickstarter and, um, you know, first of all, straight away, you've got to add 30% onto anything that you um, take in terms of pledges because they will charge you 5% for their fees. Um, there's about 4% fees for processing the financial transactions on top yeah. of the Kickstarter fees. And then they'll charge you VAT as well, which if you're not that registered, uh, which <laughs> I'm not, yeah. you know, brings that total to about 30%. So you need to build that into the amount that you're seeking, first of all. Um, and I don't think that the other platforms are perhaps as grabby with the money um, as Kickstarter. No. That said, though... You know, you have a much better chance of getting funded on a platform that's got the amount of traffic going to it. That that's true. Yeah, yeah it's it so, its own community and everything, and all that entails. Um, I had a lady send me a message saying, "Oh, I've got you know, I'm I'm doing a book, and as well, she's an American lady. I'm doing a book, and you're doing really well, and I'm not. And can you give me any tips?" And I looked at her page, and it's like she's got a a mile long bit pitch of text. She's got two people who've bid. She's got an outrageously impossible goal that she's going for, and she's given no updates and put no comments. And the thing to remember about crowdfunding is it is a social experience. Yeah. You will not just buy into it unless you create that. What's been great about the Kickstarter for Elite is it a community built around it, and people were promoting it to their friends, and you know, were geeing each other up to up their bids, and you know, and, and you know, people were going in for thousands of pounds on the on the main Kickstarter. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is a game in which no doubt everywhere David goes, people are saying, hey, look, when are you going to do another Elite? I mean, he must have been tired as hell of people asking him that, so yeah, the audience I, was there. I need to pull you up as well, David, on the on your, um, sorry, saying that, you know, David's perhaps not, you know, the best person to do it. Frontier Developments as a company, they, you know, they've not just been sitting in a hole for 21 no, years. No, they've done a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I should. Yes, yeah, so let let me be a bit more diplomatic. They have done other stuff, like they did the D- Disney Kinetic stuff, and a lot of. I think not in the same 
let me say, not in the same space, not with the same audience. Oh, they've gone where the money is because it's a lot. It's I mean, front is pretty big, so they obviously have to go with what's what's available. And that's and to be fair, that's what David Braben said. You know, it is it, it's skunk. It was skunk works. It's something they wanted to do, but they could never get funding, and and because it's not something as you said in that in that formula that would appear from a formulaic point of view to be something to make money because in some respects it's targeted at fans it's not targeted at the sort of run of the mill so although having said that if you look at if you look at a sort of few of the newer games that have been very similar sorts of things so i'm 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 i would imagine that it wouldn't take long before he could um, move out into something that's more mainstream something i thought was funny just demonstrates the, how it's really gripped the, the public. Because I've been organising these Raspberry Jams, I think somebody misunderstood and thought that I was chums with David Braben in some way. And I got an email one day with somebody <laughs> offering me £15,000 if I could pass it on to David Braben. And it was like saying, you know, put in a good word for me with David. And <laughs> I was like, oh, we got the wrong person here. <laughs> yeah, very tempting as it might have been, but then I passed it on to the powers that be. So, so to be fair, yes, the other thing that he's been doing has been Raspberry Pi, so that's already a good other thing that he's, he's been doing. Okay. Uh, I really liked as well, I mean, I, I did a really long interview with him, with him as, uh, you know, it's on YouTube as well, it's a 17-minute version, if you just search Kate Russell, David Braben, you'll find it, but he had some really interesting thoughts on the multiplayer, on the MMO side of things, and how you balance out, because one of the problems, I'm an, I love MMOs, right, uh, but I can't stand PvP because it's just full of teenage kids getting off on being far too good. PBP? Sorry, you're right. Player explain. versus player, sorry. Oh, okay. As opposed oh, to player versus environment, yeah. Okay. So yeah. I tend to avoid PvP servers, but that's where the real fun is, because when you start competing against a, a human being, you've got the random aspect of you know the intelligence that you're competing against. So, so I assume you're not playing Planetside 2? Sorry? You're not playing Planetside 2? No, no. It's great fun. I, I must admit, I haven't played any any MMOs for a, a few years now. Um, yeah, it's I've the been... first one I've played in years, actually, since Eve, actually. I think. But I am looking forward to the, you know, the mechanics that they're building in, and the, you know, if you remember in the old Elite, if you, if you killed a, 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 an innocent person or shot at an innocent person, you become a pirate. You get a bounty on your head. So the whole bounty system is going to kick in, so that if anybody you know, tries to grief newbies or whatever, they'll suddenly get a really, you know, you get somebody with a high-class experienced ship fires one round on a newbie ship and they will get a massive bounty on the head and the whole world will come down on them from a very big height. So there's some really nice touches that he's going to use to balance out the whole MMO aspect, which I'm really interested to see how that pans out. And as I'll be in the first and second round private beta test, uh, <laughs> I might be able to direct that as well. <laughs> just uh, one thing um, before we change, and, and I just mentioned Kickstarter, one, one completely random Kickstarter I just saw, what was amazing was this, this bloke called Masad Hussaini, uh, and I've just put a link there, and he's done this project called Mine K4, and it is literally a cheap way to to try to find unexploded mines in, in the desert. Oh, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome because you just basically it looks like uh, it looks like sort of piece of modern art. It, it's, if you think, think of a ball made of many legs um, and he sort of just rolls along and effectively when it makes contact with, with a mine it blows one of the legs off but they're just sort of cheap bamboo legs and they can keep on going around rolling around under wind power so it does not even have to be powered. And you just look at it and think 
that's bloody amazing. I, I, the other thing you think is, why does he have to go to Kickstarter to fund it? Any heart banker with half a brain can see how brilliant that is. And yeah. forgot that. So, in fact, a company, in fact, God, a, a munitions company should. You well, know, but the thing is, where's the money in? Where's the money in blowing up old? Mines in in because, countries that nobody right. seems to care about anymore. Do you know what I mean? The, the money, it's not for me. It would be the prestige and saying, "Look, here's somebody who's just come out with something brilliant. Um, it, it, you know, it should help, and, and just put your name against it. You know, I, I said especially sort of unfortunately, people with well. enough money to invest in that kind of project don't work on prestige. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, so you're, you're almost certainly right. It's a pity, but it's such a lovely little thing. It, it's it's both, I said, almost sort of a piece of modern art in itself. <laughs> And and a, and a great idea. And if Kickstarter can help with things like that, uh, which it clearly can, then yeah, good on Kickstarter because that's uh, that looks bloody bloody wonderful. Okay, should we, should we talk about the um, uh, what's it called, the Edge Conf? Because I want to oh. I want to sink what? my teeth right into that. What, what is that? Is that, is ah. that is... <laughs> I've got them printed up on my wall. I've been using them as dart practice all day. <laughs> So is this is this yet another yet another conference where they have managed to find no no women or anybody not I, white? I, or and actually, um, right, I gotta say I, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm also I I totally get what everyone's really going off on, but one thing I gotta say, um, I did an event um, for the BBC. Um, um, and I was trying to get um, women speakers. I really tried. I mean, I've got a massive email chain. Yeah, when I was talking to um, designers and marketing people, and <clears throat> just trying to get them to come on board, um, and I I failed. And it did get mentioned, um, luckily by. A friend, um, um, Betsy Presley from um, from America. Um, so it was okay, but I did feel like crap because I really, really tried, you know. And uh, I don't it, it, know Ian, what to say. say you, I just said I tried. When you say you tried, was it? Here's here's the thing. I mean, I'll talk yeah. about Brit, Brit Ruby in a bit because that happened last year, and this is another run up to the same thing. Did you? Was it an afterthought, or did you design with the basis that you know you're going to make an effort to get? We we all know that if if you do nothing and you contact your friends and your friends are all like you, then you're probably not going to get a, you know a full spread. So I suppose that's the only thing I'd say, and I don't know what you did. Here. Did you? Right, okay, so for, an afterthought. Right from the beginning, it? no, right from the beginning, because I'm totally aware of all this. Yeah, totally aware of all this, and I just wanted to get a kind of a mixed panel of people. And I failed, you know. And I put my hands up and I say I failed, you know. Um, and it was really the format was actually just um, five minutes talk about anything to do with design and um, design or uh, usability. And um, I spoke to lots and lots of um, my colleagues at work, and unfortunately, they all said, you know, no, you know, um, they just wouldn't be involved in that. Why not? I don't know. Was I, it time I, or? I, it was after work. That's one thing. Um, but I don't know. They just. I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and this is. And I'm not. I'm not. That is not me justifying what they've done. Because um, I think that they. Yeah, especially when you've got 
so much money and so much time, you could actually you know do a better job than I was. You know, I was one person running around trying to get people to talk for free um, after work. Um, but I just I really struggled, and I I don't know what to say about that. Uh, I'll just add one bit about Brit Ruby then. And oddly enough, I think the men should probably shut up. Uh, but so Brit Ruby was a Ruby conference that was supposed to be on, uh, I think November, December. I can't remember which month. And they suffered from the same thing. The difference being, before the conference actually got the full funding, uh, one commentator, literally one tweeter, said, um, "You don't appear to have any women. Uh, you know what's what's up with that?" And the thing snowballed into. I think, to their surprise, Snowball, to the extent where they actually had to stop the entire conference because they weren't sure they were going to get funding, they were extremely put out by that because from their feeling, they tried their best. They were It wasn't done in London. I think it was done in Manchester. And they felt that they were sort of starting out, doing conference. Everybody was happy that that conference was going ahead. And then suddenly, this sort of issue turned up. And of course, you got exactly the same set of arguments. Some people saying, well, you've only made an effort at the last minute. And the other people saying, oh, well, come on, the important thing is that you're a good speaker, not not how not how you came about. So so just, that's just a bit of, you know, just a bit of backup. And this is this is really its ugly head quite recently uh, in the UK in a big style as well. Well, there is a lot of attention on on this at the moment. You know, it's I find it a little bit frustrating, though, because on the one hand, I did. I did a, 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 a comment for um, something for the British Computer Society, or BCS as they are now, um, and it was a, a comment about Alan Turing for Alan Turing Year. And they were doing this nice book, and they they just sort of like had this page of of, of dedications. And um, I was the only woman who spoke, uh, but not because I was the only woman who was asked, but I was the only one who delivered the goods. Um, but when that actually went and got tweeted out, you know, loads of people complained, and I hadn't even noticed. It was just like, well, there's an there's an element of if you're just going to shoehorn the double X chromosome into a panel or into a lineup because you have to have your quota of women, then suddenly the women you're asking to take part feel like perhaps they're only there because uh, tokenized. they've got a skirt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. did a thing for somebody last year and I was creating interview content for their website and they said, we must have 50% women interviews on 3D technology. And I'm like, well, good luck because you can't... <laughs> the, 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 the balance of, of people working in technical positions doesn't is not is not there, so... But, oh, look at that. There's an empty chair where Ian should be, is that? Ian's yeah. just fallen off his chair. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, but it's, you know, it's really difficult because you do want to obviously have fair representation of women, but as soon as people start shouting about it, then it suddenly becomes an issue and then it becomes the focus. And then you kind of get the feeling that, am I being invited just because I'm a woman yeah, or because I mean, I'm the right person for the job? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at one point, they, you know, uh, they say, oh, there's, there's a conference. And then they say, well, we're trying to create diversity. And you go, well, hold, hold on. <laughs> what do you mean you're trying to create diversity? I thought this was a conference, and now you're telling me you're creating diversity. Which, which, which is it? I mean, if I mean, there is that basic problem. If you do, if the people you know are, say, all male or, or white, it's... It's going to be it's going to be moving out of your comfort zone, and you need to try to do it to spread it out. But you can't you cannot artificially uh, simply say I am. Yeah, it's going to fill up a quota. To create 
diversity, enforce diversity, or enable diversity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Enforcing diversity. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit sad, but I, I, I fully accept that people who have done it as a last minute have looked at their lineup and said, oh, it's all white and all male, um, and then trying to do something about it are equally stupid because obviously <laughs> they should be aware of that before they begin. Um, but it isn't going to, and it certainly won't work if you try, as you say, to add on some sort of chromosome differences to speakers. And that's pretty stupid. But, I, I could. I'm, I'm organising a, a conference in Manchester for about 340 people in March, and I could quite smugly say, "Oh, I, I, you know, we've got a good balance of females and male speakers and attendees." But it's about education, and if you and you know, there's, there's a there's a good balance, I would say, of male and females in education. So it's so it's representative of that. Just as Kate was saying before, if it's if you look at the people who work in 3D user interfaces or something like that, so you're probably going to find that the actual the, pe the, the profile of the people you're going to look at is skewed towards one gender. I, I'm, just, uh, I'm just reading what Edge have said in effect, which is quite amusing because it, it says in effect, why aren't there more women on the panels? And then in, in the end it says, Edge doesn't actually have any speakers in the traditional sense. <laughs> so they've tried and said, hey, no, you know, this is not our fault. We don't even have speakers. We don't have people. Therefore, we don't have to worry about this, which is <laughs> a little silly. But it is a shame when it, when it becomes this sort of, you know, and, and unfortunately it's the red, red rag that the, 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 to, the, to the bull for the press at the moment. It's something that just seems to be a headline generator and an attention achiever. So... It's a little bit frustrating. As a woman who works in technology, I would rather not be thought of as a woman who works in technology. I would rather be thought of as a damn fine technology reporter, if that yeah, makes any sense. I think we'd accept that. Sorry, I, so, so I, I was going to unforcibly drag Maria in um, because of the chromosome <laughs> balance. Just... I'm, I'm trying to, to think of what I could contribute, but I guess... Um, because uh, I started off in the humanities and uh, then I switched to technology and you know in the humanities actually the women are many more, I mean the, the, the proportion of uh, women is much larger than the proportion of men at uh, uh, conferences and, and, and seminars and whatever. Uh, um, or maybe that was specific to linguistics or in languages with um, uh, in which area I was uh, I was active, and and then in technology, uh, I guess there are more men, but at, at the same time, usually you know the women who are there, they're always taken as seriously, and I think that's 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 it's more important to have however many women, but they're, they're treated as you know as as equals, and uh, and their expertise is not being. Uh, um, uh, question rather than have an exact, you know, the, the exact same number of men and women, and and maybe uh, men resenting the women who are there, or uh, or women not even speaking at a specific panel or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. I I, mean, I agree. It's it's a question of uh, education and maybe encouragement. Uh, I think there is this there is this issue of um, self confidence um, yes. with women. Uh, so you know, sometimes it's not that they're not given 
the chance or even the invitation to participate, but uh, uh, maybe women have been conditioned to be worried much more than men are uh, about public speaking, public appearances in general. So, you know, I, I would not, I, I, I am not, uh, I cannot point the finger to the male chauvinist pigs or whatever, quote unquote, because I, I think that it is partly uh, our problem. I mean, it's interesting, it's interesting the point you make about as well that uh, the men being annoyed with the women being there and perhaps taking their place, because that's definitely, you know, when you, when you overbalance a panel, then that becomes a very big potential. You know, we know that we're not 50-50 numbers in in the tech industry. So if you've got a 50-50 numbers panel, then that opens the door for people in the audience to go, well, of course, they're only there because they're women. So they're yeah. denying the real experts a spot. Yeah. yeah. And also, well, that if it's 50-50 and, and half of them, half of the women don't speak anyway, then what's the point of having them on the panel? <laughs> that's never been a problem for me. <laughs> you might be surprised to learn. I, I, I mean, I... I really think that this this kind of confidence issue is a big issue because I I had I didn't have a go at someone but I kind of like lost my rag a little bit and I'm, I'm not really that kind of person but I was just like you know you it's five minutes you know all you have to do is stand up and talk a bit about your work or something you've done and you know it's really quite a loose thing and. Um, and the woman that in in question was like um just really not confident about and she has spoken in public about stuff, but she needed stricter she needed it to be strict she didn't need it to be so open as um as I was making it maybe and that and I think though there are some some differences that need to be considered um um at least for some people um we know you know, I guess if we talk to some some men they they want to know in advance the audience they want to know where it's going to go all those kind of things you know and maybe it was maybe my own fault for not for not making it that strict you know so I don't know um, but the weird thing I was going to say is um, the my whole thing obviously if you heard about other tech grumps is um it's about diversity and. It's very many, it's many, many times when I'm on a panel and I'm the only, I'm not, I'm not I, only... I should explain to everybody that, that, that yeah. Ian is, of course, a, a blonde, uh, white, <laughs> a blue-eyed male of 24. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, so I'm I'm blue-eyed and put a light on so you can actually see me. Oh, good God! Um, <laughs> I made a massive mistake, I'm really sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, it's um. there's many times that I'm on a panel and, and I'm the only... A uh, person of, uh, I guess, of color on the panel, you know, um, let alone um, kind of like uh, male or female, and and it kind of, I, I kind of sometimes, I, and I'm like Kate as well. I don't really think about it, but sometimes I do kind of go, oh, hold on a minute, you know, um, there is everyone is from you know the kind of white males of a certain age. And it is a real shame because you're not getting the, the the true opinion of of like an audience, you know. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. Um, I'm just gonna throw that in a pot. 
<laughs> Throw out the pot and then stir my pot. <laughs> Trouble is, the moment you start trying to do something about it, it becomes the focus, and that, and then, then suddenly you you cause more of a problem than you were trying to fix. If that makes sense. Well, but I, I think this is the thing, right? Um, I, I've I've thought about this and I've talked about this before. So, I I am somewhat in favour if. Um, I'm thinking back to like stuff like oh, uh, when they used to have quotas. I'm not saying that quotas are good. I'm just saying that if you're you're faced against um, an industry which is so just is not thinking in this way of diversity, that maybe we need to have uh, something to stir it up. You know, because the thing the thing I see is that. When you, you know, you're on a panel and you don't think about it, but the, I'm looking at the the audience. Where are the women who are like seeing you talk and then are, are going, "Oh, I could do that," you know. So my vote, Sorry, my go vote goes for ro robot bodysuits with voice <laughs> modifiers, so that we are all androgynous and uh, no one knows the difference. And then, then that will be problem solved. <laughs> that reminds me of the. Uh... The, the orchestral, orchestral tests. If you've got a panel, are they representative of the audience at the conference? You know, if, if one-third of your audience are female, you would kind of expect or hope that one-third of your panel of speakers would be representative of the same amount. Other, and the point that Ian was making is re reminiscent of the Monty Python, sorry, not Monty Python, the Faulty Towers, we keep saying, don't mention the war, don't mention the war. And it's like the more you mention it, the more attention you draw to the whole thing. Especially if you start stepping around the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we decided then, androgynous robot bodysuits. Yeah, we that, that sounds like the next thing. <laughs> Okay, um, I'm actually looking at our list of things. I, I, um, what do people want to talk about next? I, I quite like these um, car makers putting things on the thingiverse. I, but I don't know who introduced that. That was quite fun. Um, I mean, I don't know. I didn't put it on there, but I, I think, I, yeah, I'm not a car person, but I am really intrigued about how, uh, from what I can see, Ford and Toyota. And I really started to get the idea of like um, the fusion of of the internet and the car, you know. And I think it's really interesting, you know. I I don't quite know where it's going, um, but this this is definitely a good sign, you know. So so you're in, you're into the Google driverless car, I assume. You're, you're getting one. Oh yeah, I I love I love the idea. Of the Google, the Google driverless car. Did Toyota come up with something uh, similar yeah. just recently? I've seen something. I don't know whether they've done this. I mean, the thing about Google, they've done an awful lot of those tests where they get a row of cars. Well, they've also changed the law as well, which is really good. That's right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, but um, I, I think that the the whole idea of like, I mean, I, my, my, I, when I try and talk to people about what I do, um, what I what I usually say now is I say. I look at the the effect of the internet on everything, everything. And, is that on and your business card? I'm <laughs> going to put it on my business card if the BBC would let me. <laughs> um, right next to Firestarter, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but um, it's the effect of the internet on everything, and that and that's really key. So, like, 
when people talk about the, the Internet of Things, I'm like, well, yeah, that's all old hat, actually. You know, we're already living it. We're already starting to starting to happen. And you start to see, like, some of the really old brick-and-mortar-type stuff, you know, car building and stuff like that, completely change um, because of the Internet. I was looking at um, Ninja Blocks, who, who are, who, and this is a sort of thingy-verse thing, in that, you know, you buy these things, they're internet-connected, and they can be cameras or sensors or yeah. Uh, they're, they're, again, they're sort of the same in the same sort of Arduino sense. There's something with a URL and so forth. Um, although, although oddly enough, they they did represent themselves as something that you, they're not quite sure what they're selling. In other words, it's up to you to do something with it, but they don't know what you might want to do, um, which might indicate that it's a concept whose time hasn't come yet because nobody quite knows what they want to do. No, no, and actually that's, that actually brings up a really good point about that. I, I've been trying to like craft into a, into a blog post is, um, you know, like for example, when the first wave of computing, um, you had to kind of learn how to program. But I think as, um, the the web and the internet and stuff like that are now weaved right into society. You started to get a, a new kind of new kind of crafts, new kind of craftspeople who who are, for example, I would say designers and um, and that kind of audience are are really taking this stuff and really moving with it. And that's what I would suggest that Alan probably needs to be teaching. The next generation. <laughs> um, in, in my own view, and obviously I'm I'm a designer, so I I I think it's great because you know, I'm an interactive designer, so this stuff really makes sense to me. But I can imagine from a programmatic point of view, as a you kind of want to do stuff that just makes stuff happen, where it doesn't work that way in the real world. I, actually, it was a really good rant I heard from someone who said about, talk about how when you design stuff, you design it to go in a certain direction, not to go along a perfect path. So, anyway. We, we, we've come full circle back to the whole Ubuntu um, scenario, I think, in that, you know, I just don't think people en masse understand what it means to them yet. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. What, how, how, will, what does it mean for me? Am I going to be printing my own car? Am I going to be... Des- I don't even have a car. I don't even know how that fits into my life, but... Wait, then you probably don't want to print one. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people don't know... People don't yet en masse understand this technology or what it's going to mean to them, I think. So it's a really hard sell to there make it mainstream. clues about the sort of thing... Like, for instance, the concept that everything has a URL... Obviously, yeah. mean everything's public. But you obviously everyone's noted the everything has a Twitter account. So, for instance, the ridiculous "Here's my cat's Twitter account." Now, of course, it's a joke, but in a way, that means they've got it. There's a digital. Everything has a digital identity. You know, London Bridge has a digital identity. You can go and get a Twitter. And account. and actually, I was going to say that's that's a great example. Like, if you start to say, well, you know, my tram has um, a URL. Okay, well, what's use is that? But when it actually you start saying, well, it's tweeting about its current status and it's telling you that it's around the corner, That's then pretty, it pretty makes good. a lot more sense, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I now can go up to a bus stop and you know you can. You, I mean, obviously it's slightly out there. You go, you get, you send an SMS code and you get an SMS report back of when the buses are coming. Yeah. Uh, I think you get that in most London boroughs now. 
and that and that's bloody good. And of course, what you really just want is each each bus to have your own. Just one of your apps tells and, you, it's like a Boris bike or something. With the, yeah. And the, the the last thing I was going to say is that I just upgraded to um the Jelly Bean. Um, thank God HTC. Um, but um, what I like is the Google Now, and if that stuff is just being pulled into Google Now, wow! I mean, it's gonna to do some amazing things. Anyway, <laughs> what's interesting now to look at is that when when we were younger and we maybe read science fiction or watched films and all that, there was always this terror that the robots were going to come or the computers were going to come and they were going to. We were going to become the slaves, you know, films like Robocop where, you know, he was going to you shoot... You know those space invaders above your head? Yeah, I was just going to say, Alan's got the most awesome uh, runner along top of his room. <laughs> well, um, well, anyway, yes, they're coming. They're, they really are. Here, they're here. But the, it's already happened because people already are slaves to their sat navs and their Twitter. I mean... Are they slaves or... I don't think... I don't, I think there's some really interesting terminology there. I don't think they're slaves. So we at this uh, Raspberry Jam that we had at Mad Lab yesterday, there were some parents there and with a child, and they'd never seen this Raspberry Pi thing before. And I was asking them, so where do you see computers in your life? And they 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 had this notion that you know a computer was something you would see on a desk, and they hadn't understood that their washing machine had a computer in it, their microwave, and it was all around them and. Um, and then we started having conversations about, do you use SatNav? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. It gets us where we want to go. And, and has sometimes it ever told you, the oh, yeah, yeah, there was that time when it, it led us this way. And did you not stop and think, well, no, 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 we just, we just blindly sort of followed it, thinking it was telling us the right way to go. So it's great we've got this advance, uh, you know, advances in technology. It's getting smaller and smaller, and it's telling us how to organize our lives and what to do. But I don't think people realize that, some bad program somewhere is forcing them to do things that they just shouldn't be doing. Or well, There's also the, well, I mean, you should be aware of a generational difference. Of course, we look at the difference between when there was and when there wasn't. Uh, but now, of course, everybody's used to, you know, most people, you know, what age do you have to be now to be born when there was only Google? The, the web has always existed. And a lot of this stuff is taken for granted. We, we, we have the ability to sort of compare Yes, the times before the web and the internet, and the times after. But I mean, you know, what? What? Are, I guess what? Are you, 16, 17, 18 now. Well, there was only the internet. There was always the web, and these things are now going to be taken for granted. Not much of a comparison, I suppose. Uh, but I think that's a, okay. And I, I, I know I work in R and D, so <laughs> and I hear so my kind of focus is like five, ten years out. But um, I think this is a good thing because you know the. Try and get over the whole legacy thing of like, okay, that's how we used to do it, but look at what we could do when we do actually put our, you know, our, our gears in motion. Um, I think I got to quote uh, Simon Lum, and I tried to remember the quote. It's something like, um, you know, we look at the amount of effort we spend on on like rubbish TV when, or some rubbish TV, sorry, um, when we could, when we went to the moon in the 60s, you know, it's like, we could be, we could do some incredible things. And I think it's just a matter of like convincing people that, you know, this stuff is actually for their benefit. Anyway, that's for me. It's a, you, you provided me a, a rather lovely sort of segue into 
plugging my book that's coming out in March. (laughs) (laughs) Which is all about that. You know, it's called Working the Cloud and it's all about, somebody's described it as the plumber's guide to the internet and it's all about the the wealth of stuff that exists online from social networking but also to like productivity stuff, uh, you know, stuff to help you plan, network, collaborate, design and even make money. And most people that I speak to of a certain age go, well, you know, the internet's not relevant to me. And after I've been speaking to about 10 minutes, they realize that the the internet is relevant to them. And, and, you know, this is one of the things that I really want to try and... I love the work that I do for Click because I get to tell people really cool, useful stuff that they can find online. And bizarre. Bizarre. And I get so many messages from people going... I never knew that that was out there. And of course, well, you wouldn't because the internet has got 8 billion indexed web pages, right? That's, uh, you know, unindexed, we're talking 17 billion and beyond. So how would you know what's out there if you're not looking for it? Um, And that's my job. I get paid by the BBC to sit at my computer and look at the internet (laughs) for you. There was quite a fun Guardian article today just saying um, uh, because the internet was, they they reckoned it was, I don't know, actually they gave it 30 years old, did they say? I don't, I don't, that means nothing to me at all. I'm not, I'm not sure about the age. But there's got quite, quite a few things about, you know, things you can do on the internet. One is, you know, you can find your tribe because there are uh, obviously an infinite amount of pages and references and forums and so forth. Someone out there will like the same shit as you, you know, which I thought... T- was TCPIP cool. was actually 30 this, this month, I think. Oh, that's, okay. that must be the reference. I mean, obviously, yeah, we, we all know that yeah. Yeah, yeah, the internet is, is a bit, bit bigger than any one structural thing, but that, that's the, was a, ne- a nice nice reason to print this article. But, that she, she mentioned, though, rather amusingly, that, um, that she compared Google to being a likable Skynet, which I thought was it's just a <laughs> wonderful <laughs> comparison. But that's, again, it's, you know, it's just not seen as a bad thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, well, as I, I, as I said before, like, the whole, the whole. I mean, I, I really am very particular about my my privacy on certain cases, and and I do understand that. Well, and that's that's I think that's the the problem is that people don't understand what this data is being used for. Um, but if they understand it, then they can use it for their benefit. You know. Anyway. Should we move on? I think we've got time to do, um, well, on our notional attempt to fit in an hour. Um, yeah, something nice and short. Yeah. What's, what's H-N-Y-F-U? Oh, brilliant. That's mine. H-N-Y-F-U. So, basically, one thing that I've noticed this year, uh, which I haven't noticed in previous years, is uh, a rather nasty habit that people have got into of, instead of saying Happy New Year, just saying... HNY, which now I'm all for chat abbreviations for economical delivery of information. But when you're giving me a greeting or a well wish, at least take the fucking time to write it out fully. Otherwise, it doesn't sound sincere. And the reply I'm going to give you is F you, basically. HFY. You're not going to grace us with the with the, the full FU. You're just gonna you're just gonna tell us the, the initials. <laughs> well I think that has the same weight and effect, does it not? I think so. <laughs> yeah. How about this? F U. Yeah, okay. You all can see that. that. Well that's probably just as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm always surprised that people use instead of Christmas say Crimbo 
which is a strange abbreviation. I don't even know where it comes from, and it just sounds sounds autistic, to be honest. It's completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, okay, I've got to say, I do use Xmas, not because I don't want to write the whole Christmas out. Um, I'm, being an atheist, I do get a little bit... Uh, so I, say, I do actually... I've got into the whole field of like saying happy holidays instead of like... You, happy you don't Christmas. say happy Winterville. No, I, I just say happy holidays. I, and that's because I've, I've lived with an American for a, a long time, and so I kind of got into it as well. I think there is a phenomenon that... I remember uh, once when I watched Big Brother, there was, a, there was somebody called Anthony, and he, he was the finalist of Big Brother one year. And one of these sort of psychologists that they bring in to make commentary about it said... Watch the, the listen to the way he talks and watch what happens. And he kept having this phrase. He'd say, he would proceed. Everything he said was at the end of the day, blah blah. Oh yeah. At the end of the day, and, and they just said, just watch what happens over the next such a few days, a few weeks. You'll actually hear people use that, and you'll find yourself using it again yourself. And wonder with the HNY whether people like to see themselves perhaps as being current and topical and hey. Somebody's just tweeted me HNY. That, oh, that must be cool. It's just lazy. It's just lazy and inconsiderate. And you're talking of pointless bloody acronyms. What KK is a is a shortening for OK, right? I mean that's <laughs> that's beyond uh, ridiculous. How do you acronymize that is, that is something ridiculous. with about, something that is the same well, language? As long as they don't say KKK. I know. I was, I was about to say. Like, <laughs> I have to K by accident. I'd be like. Whoa, <laughs> W2 takes longer to say than World War Two does. That's, yeah. <laughs> but I've got to say one thing now. Um, I I do find this is kind of like, especially in the Unix world. I just obviously moved from Windows to Unix, and um, you know, like some of the the kind of shortenings. I'm like, what on earth are you thinking? So I can kind of see What's where the- it comes from a little bit. BRB. I mean, that's another one I've What's seen. What's BRB? So many oh, you, <laughs> I thought it was like a command. BRB. Like... <laughs> right back at you. It's when, when you actually go out socially with somebody and they say lol. It's, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a bit embarrassing. That's bad. I love the story David Cameron I thought love. that meant lots of love. That is, that is wonderful. My <laughs> mum thought that. She actually she sent me a text message saying, your grandma's not very well, lol. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mum. That's brilliant. We need to have a talk. Oh, she's trying to be current. <laughs> okay. Lol is my verb, so I bet you lolled at that. <laughs> should, we, uh, should we wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. That this has been um, Tech Grump sixty five. I um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, so I'd like to everyone say goodbye. Uh, our special guest, Kate Russell, say goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, Maria has reappeared. Please say goodbye, Maria. Goodbye. Alan has uh, stopped ironing for a second, so could he say goodbye? I'm going to go into Dave Lee Travis at TTFN. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Ian Cubic Garden, uh, Forrester, please say goodnight. Goodbye. Goodnight and sweet dreams, and I'll see you in the future. (laughs) <laughs> and I have nothing else to add other than uh, David Eastman saying uh, good night and goodbye. Um, see you in Tech Grump 67. Lol. 66. Lol. <laughs>